Let's pray. Father, we uh, ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would come upon this time as we open your word, as we uh, study, uh, God, uh, uh, just relationship with the Holy Spirit. So I pray you would fill us, you would touch us, you would empower us, that you do your work. Uh, God, that you'd watch over my words. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been going through a series through the book of Ephesians. It's a book written by a guy named Paul. He was an apostle. And uh, I think we've been in this book for like three years. So, jeez. Uh, uh, though we have been doing other things in between, but uh, we've been two weeks on this one verse. This is why. Uh, last week, or let me read the verse first here, Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. That's what we talked about last week. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And last week, we talked about the first half of this verse, because they are related. And we just kind of did an overview of alcohol in the Bible. And we see uh, that God uh, created alcohol to be a good gift, and that it was meant to be used to celebrate life and to celebrate community. But like many good gifts that God gives us, uh, we can abuse those gifts, uh, we do that with a lot of things, money and food and time and energy. We can, do, we can abuse a lot of God's good gifts, and alcohol is one of those things. And uh, sometimes one of the ways we abuse al- alcohol, as we talked about last week, is we, instead of using it the way God designed it, that is to celebrate life in community, we can use it to escape from life and escape from our problems because I think we all know this, life can be really, really hard at times. And, uh, and there are hard things we have to go through. There are difficult things we have to work through. And sometimes it's just easy because we're just like so stressed out. It's, I need to, need to escape. And, uh, and, and people go to a place where they just drink too much alcohol. But this text says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or it can ruin your life. That's the idea of the word. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so the, Paul is saying, instead of using alcohol to escape life, because life is hard, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we can use alcohol to escape the difficult things of life, or we can utilize the filling of the Holy Spirit to face and to move through and to gain victory over the difficult things in our life. We can either escape and run from our issues, or be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and walk through those issues in a kingdom way. And just as people can get a buzz from alcohol, you can get a buzz from the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're talking about today. There is a correlation. In fact, on the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, that's exactly what people said. These people are drunk on wine. And Peter said, no, actually they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, First of all, the Holy Spirit, uh, he's actually a person. Uh, Some people talking about the Holy Spirit I think the Holy Spirit is like some sort of energy, or the Holy Spirit is God's force, or the Holy Spirit is an it. The Holy Spirit, he's actually a person. Uh, Just as the Father is a person and Jesus is a person, the Holy Spirit, he is a person. Uh, Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit, said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives for me. That he is actually a person, and he's a person who speaks. 
This is what this text says over and over again, that he, he speaks to us and he leads us and he guides us. Now, there are some people who are afraid of the Holy Spirit, and they might talk a lot about the Father, they talk a lot about Jesus, but Holy Spirit, they're kind of scared, and they kind of put the Holy Spirit on the shelf and kind of live their Christianity just relating to the Father and relating to Jesus. But if you do that, you really miss out on a whole lot in your Christian walk. Because he speaks, and he leads, and he guides, and he is a person, and we are to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We are to relate to the Holy Spirit. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Do you know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in your life? I mean, you might say, I know the fellowship of the Father. As I cry, Abba, Father, I know the fellowship of Jesus because I love Jesus. But do you know and experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? Because he's a person. He's not a force or an active electricity. He is a person. And just as we relate to the Father and to the Son, we are to relate and commune and talk and listen and hear the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, the Holy Spirit is so important that Jesus here says something pretty crazy. He says, your hearts are filled with sadness because I have said these things to you. He was talking about he is going away. He's going to be crucified. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am going away. For if I do not go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This must sound really weird to the disciples. Jesus saying, it's better that I go away. Because then I will give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, is better than the physical presence of Jesus. And it's hard to get your mind around. Because, man, if Jesus were, like, physically with me throughout my day, I think that would be pretty awesome, <laughs> all right? Like, you could not be the best thing in the whole world. But Jesus was telling his disciples, it's better that I go away and that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit does incredible and amazing things in our life. In fact, I did a quick sketch to the Bible, and I made a list so long about all the whole things the Holy Spirit does in our life. It's incredible. But here's just a few. Uh, The Holy Spirit gives us gifts for ministry. Uh, God has not called us to be selfish totally all the time with our time, energy, and money. He has called us to serve others. But the Holy Spirit actually gives us special abilities, special ministry gifts that we can be effective. That's pretty cool. Uh, The Holy Spirit gives us fruit for empowered living. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that we need for a good marriage good relationships with people, a a good worth ethic, all those things, those come from the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we try to work on our love and work on our patience, and and the Holy Spirit is like, just surrender to me, and I'll I'll give it to you. Uh, The Holy Spirit is our helper and counselor. I mean, imagine just having like a counselor with you all the time and a helper with you all the time. You can through the Holy Spirit. And when you learn to hear the Holy Spirit, He can give you counsel uh, throughout the day when you are facing different issues. The Holy Spirit is our strength and our protector. For greater is he that is in us than is in the world. Holy Spirit guides us. Uh, Do you have decisions you need to make? Do I go here or do I go here? Uh, This is where the Holy Spirit, what part of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. Uh, The Holy Spirit gives us power for ministry and for life. 
He empowers us for life, empowers us for ministry. And this power changes us. Uh, Hudson Taylor, I was looking at him this week. Hudson Taylor became a Christian, uh, had a passion for missions. He goes to China uh, to serve Jesus. And as he is there, he is serving Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus. He finds himself frustrated and powerless. This is what he, he writes. And maybe some of you feel this way today. I have continually to mourn that I f- uh, follow at such a distant and uh, learn so slowly to imitate my precious master. I cannot tell you how I am buffeted sometimes by temptation. I have never uh, known how bad a heart I had. Mine is a particularly nervous disposition. And with a busy life, I find my, myself in a tremor all day long. I did not enjoy the Lord as I knew I ought. Nervous agitation possessed me as long as there was anything to be done. Then came the questions, is there no rescue? Must it be thus to the end? Constant conflict and too often defeat. Instead of growing stronger, I seem to be getting weaker and have to have less power against sin. And no longer for faith and even hope were getting low. I hated myself. I hated my sin, yet gained no strength against it. I felt I was a child of God. His spirit in my heart would cry in spite of all, Abba, Father. But to rise to my privilege as a child, I was utterly powerless. I mean, here is a defeated follower of Jesus. He does not have power for life. He is filled with anxiety. He is agitated. He is striving. If you read his ministry story, he didn't have any success early on. But then something happens. He gets a letter from someone and he reads it and the Holy Spirit steps into his life and fills him with supernatural power. This letter spoke about how he need not to fear because Jesus is with him and he always knew that. But there are times when the Holy Spirit can take something that you've heard a million times and can just ignite you in a way that sets you on fire and changes your life forever. And this moment where he encountered the Holy Spirit through this letter, it radically changed his ministry. He goes on after this, and he says this later on. I am no longer anxious about anything. The weight and strain are all gone. The last month or more has been perhaps the happiest in my life. And I long to tell you a little of what the Lord has done for my soul. I do not know how far I may be able to, uh, I do not know how far I may be able to make myself intelligible about it. For there is nothing new or strange or wonderful, and yet all is new. In a word, where once I was blind, now I see. I mean, it was this experience that he couldn't even put into words. But he knew something happened. He knew he had been empowered by the Spirit. He knew the Holy Spirit did something in his life because this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He changes us. And even as Christians, if you find yourself powerless, the Holy Spirit loves to step in and renew you and empower you. I mean, too often we try to live life on our own, uh, as as, uh, Hudson Taylor did. Uh, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If, a, if you remain in me and I am in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And a lot of times, this is where we end up in defeat. 
and we end up just feeling powerless and we end up like, why am I so anxious and tired and, and why is life seem to be coming? Because we often try to plow through life on our own strength. We try to plow through it on our own efforts. And what we need is the power of the Holy Spirit. This verse has always been so dear to me. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And this is what he wants to do in your life, in my life. It's not by might, it's not by striving, it's not by power, all your own efforts. It is by the Holy Spirit of God working in you and empowering you to do amazing things in this world. Uh, John Bevere said, but we will never advance this heavenly cause if we do not rely on the power of the Spirit. Jesus needed the Spirit's power. What makes us any different? I mean, the Bible says that Jesus went out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you living life in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Do you know, are you relating to the Holy Spirit? Or are you somehow sort of afraid of the Holy Spirit and you've kind of put him on the shelf because, you know, well, I don't know, you've listened to a lie of the enemy, I suppose. Power is one of the most common words associated with the Holy Spirit. There's lots of words associated with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things the Holy Spirit does in our life, but one of the most common words associated with the Holy Spirit is the word power, if you look through the Scriptures. And so the question is, if you're uh, relating to the Holy Spirit and you're having a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, do you sense any power in your life? Kind of question for today. Do you sense the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? If, if one of the things the Holy Spirit does most out of all things is power, do you sense it at all in your life? Or do you feel as if you're defeated today and overwhelmed by, by life? Here's just a few of the verses. There's lots, but here's a few. Luke 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Again, Jesus lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. How did he leave, lead Gentiles to obey? It had partly to do with the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in him. Again, Paul lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep convictions. And a lot of times we can just live life based on our words and our strength, but is there the power of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes I wonder about this in my own ministry. I mean, sometimes, is these just words? And we've got to continually pray that there would be the work of the Holy Spirit as we gather together. Ephesians 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Paul is praying to Christians. And he is praying that they would have a deeper encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit. And sadly, there's this mistake in some realms of Christianity to say that once you get the Holy Spirit, you've gotten all you're ever going to get. And that's just not the testimony of Scripture. Paul is saying, I pray that people would see, would grasp, would, would experience the power of the Holy Spirit in deeper ways. 2 Timothy chapter 1 says, the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. The power of the Holy Spirit lives within us. 2 Timothy, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self 
discipline. The Holy Spirit that God gives us, gives us power. And so if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, do you you sense that power? Do you know that power? Are you living by the power of the Holy Spirit? We see the difference this power made in the disciples. Before uh, Jesus' death and resurrection there in the garden, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. What happens? All the disciples desert and flee. They're afraid. They're afraid for their lives. They run from the scene. Then Jesus dies, he rises again from the grave, and after his resurrection, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then he says later in Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You would think... That the disciples, having experienced the death and resurrection of Jesus, that that would be enough to go out in ministry. They know about the resurrection of Jesus. Let's go. We got all it needs for ministry. We got, we're going to handle this thing. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Even though you believe in me, even though you know about my resurrection, do not go forward in ministry until you have received the power of the Holy Spirit. Because words don't change people's lives. The Holy Spirit changes people's lives. And again, sometimes we operate in this realm where we just kind of go out without the power of the Holy Spirit. But then we fast forward, of course, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples and they are empowered. I mean, they, when they were facing death and persecution, they no longer ran away in fear, but they faced death head on. In fact, all of the apostles, except for John, ended up being martyred for their belief in Jesus. I mean, no more fear. They were empowered. I mean, do you know that kind of power in your life? Are you relating to the Holy Spirit in a way that you are walking in power? Uh, sometimes I think we live our lives like a king toes. You know, where you're trying to water your garden, maybe you were yesterday, uh, and your hose is kinked, it's just coming out a little bit, and you're just like, where is the power of the water? And you got a, you got a kink in your hose. And sometimes to really let the power of the Holy Spirit flow in our lives, we've got to get rid of some of the kinks. And, uh, and it's important that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this has been the testimony of thousands, if not millions, of Christians who have been living their Christian life and just feel that they don't have power. That nothing seems to be effective, that they're still filled with anxiety and fear, and they just don't have effective in ministry. And then they have this encounter with the Holy Spirit, and they're empowered, and everything changes. Many of the most famous evangelists and preachers uh, throughout history have had experiences like this. I mean, D.L. Moody, when he began ministry, he just felt he didn't have a lot of power. Now, he had actually the biggest church in his city, but uh, there were always two ladies in the very front pew when he preached that were always praying for D.L. Moody. And initially, D.L. Moody hated it because these two women were praying that Moody would, be, would experience the power and fire of the Holy Spirit, as they said. Just like those old preachers, have you experienced the baptism and fire of the Holy Spirit, as the old-time preachers used to always say. Uh, they were praying for Moody for that, and Moody was kind of getting agitated. I have the biggest church in town. I'm a good preacher. Everything's wonderful. Don't pray that for me. But eventually, he began to realize that he was missing something. And he finally agrees to meet with these two women and to pray with them. And they began to pray, and... Uh, And this is what he says as a result. One day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. 
I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, yet hundreds were converted. I would not be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. And sometimes we can be living, as D.L. Moody did, as Christians, without the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit gushing through our lives. I mean, we need to encounter the Holy Spirit, relate to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Billy Graham is another one. Uh, I think probably most of you know Billy Graham. I mean, the most famous evangelist of the last hundred years. He has uh, spoken to more people about Jesus than anybody else in history. And uh, many people in churches today credit their turning point to Jesus to the ministry of Billy Graham. But you know when he started, he did not sense a lot of power, nor did he see a lot of conversions in his ministry. And uh, it was one day he was listening to uh, a preacher preach on the Holy Spirit, kind of like I'm preaching today, and he realized that he didn't have what that preacher was talking about. And so he contacted this preacher and says, can you teach me more about being empowered by the Holy Spirit? And he met with this pastor, and they prayed together, and, they, and they, uh, he taught. And then Billy, uh, or this is what Billy Graham said to this pastor. You've spoken of something that I don't have. I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit in my life too. And again, they meet and they pray. And this is what Billy Graham says after. He has this experience with the Holy Spirit of this of power coming into his life. He says, my heart is so flooded with the Holy Spirit. I have it. I'm filled. I'm filled. This is the turning point of my life. This will revolutionize my ministry. And that evening, he goes up to preach. And this is what uh, the pastor of that church said. That night, Billy was to speak at a large Baptist church nearby. When he rose to preach, he was a man absolutely anointed. And if you hear Billy Graham, I mean, there's nothing fancy about his messages. But hundreds come down and thousands of people. Again, there have been hundreds of thousands of people who credit their transformation to Jesus because of his ministry. There was power that filled his ministry. Oswald Chambers, and we could go on, there's there's tons of them. But Oswald Chambers, you may know, uh, his devotional is one of the most famous ever, utmost for his highest. He said, God used me during those years. But I had no conscious communion with him. The Bible was dullest, the dullest, most uninteresting book in existence. And this is one of the signs that you need an encounter with the Holy Spirit. If you find reading the Bible dull, if you find gathering, when we gather together to worship, you just find like another song. You just find that you don't have a heart. You you find uh, that you don't have any passion for Christ. You You just seem dry then the Holy Spirit wants to do something in your life today. He just found it, he just was uninterested. And uh, uh, he goes to this church service, and uh, they're talking about the Holy Spirit, and he he knows something's got to change in his life. And he says, then and there I claim the gift of the Holy Spirit in a dog committal of Luke 11, 13, which is, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, that God will generously give you the Holy Spirit. He says this, I had no vision of heaven or of angels. I had nothing. I was as dry and empty as ever, no witness of the Holy Spirit, but he he chose to walk forward in faith. And what happens is, 
because he was preaching that day, he gets up and he preaches. And when he's done his sermon, because he had never happened this, 40 people come forward to receive Christ. And he's so confused at what happened that he actually doesn't need to do anything. He just leaves and, and he's just, he's confused because something had changed. All of a sudden his ministry, his life had this power. I mean, do you have this power in your life? Do you, do you sense the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you? It doesn't mean that your life is not going to have no difficulties. It just means that you're going to have the power to move through those things and work through those things. He goes on later and says, if uh, the four previous years had been hell on earth, these five years have been truly heaven on earth. Glory be to God, the last aching abyss of the human heart is filled to overflowing with the love of God. I mean, here again is another minister of the gospel, a Christian who had lived years without this experience of power. And then they have this encounter with the Holy Spirit and they're flooded and they're changed and and something happens. Now, there are a couple theological ways that people would describe what happens through these stories and look at two oh there's actually kind of three uh, one would just dismiss them and say that they had a renewal of the mind or something that just happened in the head that it really wasn't the holy spirit because there's some people who just kind of put the holy spirit on the shelf and don't think when you, you become a christian you receive the holy spirit and that's it you don't really have to touch the holy spirit after that there's some who believe that so i'm not gonna even talk about that because that's hard to find in the Bible. <clears throat> but there are two main views that people would describe these experiences and, and, and kind of put some theological words around this happens. One of the views is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And this is, is kind of how it's defined. It. Spirit baptism is subsequent and, to and distinct from regeneration and conversion. So they would look at stories like Billy Graham and Hudson Taylor and D.L. Moody and Oswald Chambers and millions of other people who have had this happen in their lives. They would say they became a Christian and they received the Holy Spirit, but they were not fully immersed or didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so they would say that, that you need to receive Christ and then you also need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you are clothed in power. uh, This group often talked about three different baptisms that we need to receive as Christians. There's the Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. It's talked about in the Bible. That's conversion. Then we go to water baptism. And then we have spirit baptism. uh, Spoken about uh, throughout the scriptures as Jesus, as the whole prophet said, Jesus will baptize you in the Spirit and in fire. This is held uh, by lots of groups, but mainly the most prominent group would be the Assemblies of God or the Pentecostal churches. Uh, This is from their statement. All believers are entitled to and should ardently expect and earnestly seek the promise of the Father, the baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire, according to the command of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the normal experience of all the early Christian church when it comes to the endowment of power for life and service the bestowment of the gifts and their uses in the work of ministry. This wonderful experience is distinct from and subsequent to the experience of new birth. And so uh, you're baptized into Jesus' conversion, water baptism, and then you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Assemblies of God, this group would say that the evidence of this always is speaking in tongues. There are lots of other groups, lots of other theologians who will say the evidence isn't always that. It may just be a feeling of love. It may be a feeling of electricity or warmth. It may be like Oswald Chambers. You don't even feel anything at all. But you just know something's different. Uh, And so there's no really test to say, did it happen or not happen? Uh, But they would say that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is what happens. 
And there are a lot of scriptures they look to it. And by the way, I'm just way oversimplifying these two views, and there's lots of mix in between. Uh, but, uh, but while he was with them, this is Jesus, he declared, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there for, my, uh, for what my father promised, which you heard about me, uh, from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so they say this sets the pattern. The disciples believed in Jesus. They knew about the resurrection. In a sense, they were converted, but did not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that came at a later time. We see this pattern in Acts chapter 8. But when they believed, Philip, as he was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they began to be baptized, both men and women. So here are people who believed. They were baptized. But the text goes on to say they didn't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Right away it says, Now the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. And they sent Peter and John to them. These two went down and prayed for them so that they would receive the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They would say they were converted, but they did not receive the power which empowered their life. That came afterwards. Uh, John 19 is uh, a very strong text for this view. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, uh, Paul went through the inland regions, came to Ephesus. He found some disciples there and said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They replied, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. This is 25 years after the resurrection. These are people who believed and Paul asked him, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? If you always received the fullness of the Holy Spirit when you believed, why in the world did Paul ask this question? So he asked them, do you have uh, the Holy Spirit? And they say no. And, and so when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. And so that is kind of one view. It's sometimes called the two-stage view, where you receive Christ. And then you go to the second stage where you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The other view, which is very prominent and is probably more prominent, uh, I tend to lean more to this, this view, though to me I don't really matter what language you use, baptism of the Holy Spirit or filling of the Holy Spirit. The question is, do you, have the, how, the power of the, do you feel the power working through your life? Are you feel empowered? I mean, we can get talk, caught up in theological arguments for all day long, and this has been debated forever and ever, and it's like, okay, but do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you sense the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you sense victory in your life? That is the real question. But here's the other, the other view is called filling with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Dr. Sam Storms, this uh, vineyard would be the group that holds to this. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of churches do. Uh, all Christians, by definition, have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it really comes down to theological language. But they would say you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you're converted. However... There are also multiple subsequent experiences of the, Holy, of the Spirit's activity. After conversion, the Spirit may yet come with varying degrees of intensity, wherein the Christian is overwhelmed, empowered, anointed, or in some sense, endued. This release of new power, this manifestation of the Spirit's intimate presence is most likely to be identified with what the New Testament calls the filling of the Spirit. And so this group would say that Billy Graham and Oswald Chambers and millions of other people in the world have had this happened. 
were converted, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when they were converted, but what they experienced is this filling of the Spirit, this endowment of power where they're all of a sudden energized and empowered for life and for ministry. Uh, we see this throughout the scriptures. Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Again in Acts chapter 4, it said, then Peter, again, filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, again, Peter and the disciples were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, and the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It's not just you become a Christian, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then you kind of put them on the shelf. This is, you can have multiple experiences of empowerment. Uh, you can have multiple times where you encounter God and he brings you to a new level. He frees you from sickness or illness or anxiety or fear or whatever it might be that you're struggling with. All of a sudden you find there's new power in your ministry, new power in life, new joy, a new sense of God's love. And you can have multiple encounters and sometimes very powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit throughout your life. And this seems to be the testimony throughout the book of Acts that these guys were continually filled with the Holy Spirit time and time again. We see Paul, uh, when he is converted, uh, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just regain your sight and believe in Jesus, so that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then later, of course that happens, in Acts 13 says, uh, Saul also knows Paul, again, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Another encounter. Uh, that we can have multiple encounters with the Holy Spirit. I mean, have you ever had an encounter with the Holy Spirit? Have you ever just sensed his love flowing or sensed something that stuck out out of, out of the Bible as you read it and just radically changes your life, that something supernatural has happened in your life, something supernatural has happened in that moment? That is the Holy Spirit. And those kind of encounters we should have in our lives. This is command in Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a command. And the Greek here is not just once. The idea is to be continually filled. That Paul commands us that we would be continually filled by his Spirit. That we wouldn't just say, I was filled 50 years ago. Or I don't talk about the Holy Spirit. This is a command that we would be continually filled filled, empowered, seeking the presence and, and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's a command. I find this text super interesting, Acts 6. This is when they're choosing some leaders for the early church. And the apostles say this, carefully select from among you, brothers, seven men who are well attested, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. The apostles say, I want you to look through the church, and I want you to find seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit. Now, if everybody had the same level or capacity, or however you describe it, of the Holy Spirit, this would make no sense. It would make absolutely no sense. Why would you put that if everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit in the same way? This is implying that some people... And you got to be careful terminology because this is where the debate gets. Uh, some people don't like saying more, but there are some people who are gushing or have greater capacity, who are flowing in the Spirit or have been baptized in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit in greater ways, however you define this. But the question is, if someone came to this church and said, we need to find some leaders, we need to find people of the, who are full of the Holy Spirit, would they choose you? 
And, and if you're sensing here, like Billy Graham and Oswald Chambers and others, that I think there is more. I think, I think there's more power to be had, more life change. There's something missing in my life. Then follow the command of Paul and be filled with the Spirit. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Again later, again he is filled with the Holy Spirit. This can happen multiple times, not just a one-time thing or a two-time thing. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is another one who at one time felt powerless. He has this experience of being filled or baptized in the Spirit, and his ministry has changed. This is one of the most famous preachers in the last 100 years. Uh, a very, very famous, powerful preacher. And uh, here's some of the things that he had to say. When Christians are baptized by the Holy Spirit, and he was one who took that theological stance, when Christians are baptized by the Holy Spirit, they have a sense of the power and the presence of God that they have never known before. The baptism of the Spirit is a fresh new manifestation of God to the soul. You have an overwhelming knowledge given to you of God's love to you in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the greatest and most essential characteristic of baptism with the Spirit. It is experiential. It is undeniable. There is immediacy that goes beyond ordinary experience. It fills with overwhelming joy. It turns advocates of Christ into witnesses of what they have seen and heard. The essence of arrival is that the Holy Spirit comes down upon a, a number of people together, upon a whole church, upon a whole number of churches, districts, or perhaps a whole country. That is what is meant by revival. It is, if you like, a visitation of the Holy Spirit, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the terms are interesting because you see what the people are conscious of is that it is as if something has suddenly come down upon them. Something has suddenly changed. Uh, the atmosphere is different. The Spirit of God has descended into their midst. God has come down and is among them. A baptism, an outpouring, a visitation. And the effects of that is that they immediately become aware of the presence and His power in a manner that they have never known before. I am talking about Christian people about church members gathered together as they have done so many times before, suddenly they are aware of his presence. They are aware of the majesty and the awe of God. The Holy Spirit literally seems to be presiding over the meeting and taking charge of it and manifesting his power and guiding them and leading them and directing them. That is the essence of revival. And one of the most encouraging things is to read the history of revival. Because it is this, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is unlike anything. All of a sudden, ordinary preachers, their, their messages begin to just change people's lives. And people are changed and radically empowered. And sin is left behind. And they feel the love of God. And they just can't get enough of singing and enough of reading the Bible. It's just this work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but we need that. I mean, I need that. Uh, Oswald, or, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, we're almost done here. He says this, and this is after his listing of all these revivals and, and stories. He says this, what then are we to conclude about all this? There is only one obvious conclusion. Seek him. Seek him. What can we do without him? Seek him always. Uh, there is a text in scripture that tells us that uh, God loves to pour out his Holy Spirit. And sometimes people get afraid of asking for more of the Holy Spirit because they're afraid, like, what if I get a demon or what if Satan gets in there? 
If you're looking to Jesus and wanting more of him, you don't need to be afraid of receiving something off. I mean, this is what Jesus said. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to good give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He doesn't want to give you a snake. He doesn't want to give you a scorpion. He wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And so if you are here and you're saying, you know, I, I need more empowering in my life. I need a filling of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, I'll be the first one to stand here. I'm just asking you to stand and we're going to say a prayer together. Uh, because God wants to do amazing, amazing things in our life. And so let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, Jesus' name, amen. So, Father, we just seal this in our lives this morning. Father, would you pour out your spirit upon us? We need you. Uh, we can't do life without you. God, we need help in our difficulties. We need help uh, sharing the gospel. We need help in this kingdom. God, we need help. So, Father, would you pour out your spirit upon us? Would you renew us? In Jesus' name, amen.